welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Welcome to this episode. I hope you've been busy and productive and profitable and that business is going well. Here in Australia, it's spring and here in Perth, spring is a wonderful time of the year. Um, not that you could tell from the way that the Perth spring has started. We've had uh, showers for quite a lot of the time, so it's a very unusual start to our spring, but it's still a great time of year and pretty soon it'll be getting warmer and lighter and uh, we'll be getting into summer. Now, I'm sure you didn't come here because you want a weather report, because after all, you might not be in Perth. You might be anywhere around the world. But the topic I want to talk about today is related to this idea that uh, you could be anywhere around the world and so could your team. And I want to talk about this idea about of how to lead from anywhere, because if you're a leader or a manager in a modern workplace, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in your workplace is in the same office. They, Some of them might be working from home. Some of them might be working from internet cafes or co-working spaces. Some of them may be in remote teams on the other sides of the world. Uh, and there may be some people who are freelancers and contractors. And that's just the nature of the modern workplace. So as a leader or manager, especially if you've been used to leading and managing a team where everybody's in the same office, it might be quite different and challenging to lead and manage a team where you can't see everybody and they're not all physically in the same office as you every day. So let's talk about that. We're going to talk about five different areas about how to lead from anywhere. The first one is about culture, building team culture. The second one is about collaboration, in other words, how you collaborate remotely. Uh, then we talk about productivity, then innovation, and then development, which is about learning and development. Now, any one of those five topics, we could go into a lot of depth. So we're not going to do that. Uh, what I'm going to do today is give you an overview of each one of those five topics, and I'll give you some practical ideas that will be relevant for you and useful for you when you're leading a team where everybody isn't in the same office and, and you're looking at these five areas of culture, collaboration, productivity, innovation and development. Let me start by telling you the story of Steve Shirley. Now Steve Shirley started a software company more than half a century ago in 1962. Uh, this company was started, it's called Freelance Programmers, it was started in the UK and there were three really interesting things and different things about Steve's company. The first was that Steve was kind of bored with what software and computers were doing most of at that time, which was financial and accounting software. So freelance programmers specialized in engineering stuff. So they had clients like Boeing and NASA. But that wasn't the most interesting thing about the company. The second thing was that almost all the employees were women. And now women actually did have quite a prominent role in the early days of computers and computer science, even though it's not often recognized. Um, but it was still unusual for almost all the employees to be women. But even that wasn't the most different and interesting thing about freelance programmers. The third thing was that these women would work from home. So in the UK, they were scattered all around the UK. And this is, remember, pre-internet, because this is 1962. These were the days of punch cards and mainframe computers. And so these women working from home would do their little programming on the card. A Royal Mail would come and pick up their mail twice a day and bring it to London. And it would be put into the mainframe computers to churn through the programming overnight. And then whatever changes need to be made, they would be sent back for changes to be made the next day. So... Here we have a company which was set up half a century ago, pre-internet, uh, working with a specific niche market and still with employees who worked from home. 
Um, and that company was very successful. In fact, when Steve floated it uh, sometime later, it was valued at three billion pounds on the UK stock exchange. And 13 of the original founders, including Steve, became instant millionaires. By the way, the person I've called Steve Shirley is Dame Stephanie Shirley, and I'm not being disrespectful to her by calling her Steve. That's how she used to sign her memos to get meetings with executives at her, at her client companies. So they wouldn't know that she was a woman until she walked through the door and then it was too late for them to cancel the meeting. So we have this woman who set up a company pre-internet 50 years ago with uh, staff members, women working from home. So if that could be done... In those times and with those challenges, there's no reason why it can't be done now. And of course, it is being done now increasingly. It's certainly not the mainstream, but it's certainly the case that more and more uh, workplaces have teams where the, the entire team doesn't work in the same office. So let's look at these five areas, and I want to take a particular angle as we discuss each of them. So the angle I'd like to take is quite different from the way that most people look at the difference between in-office teams and, let's call them for the moment, virtual teams. Um, most people look at the in-office team as being the gold standard. As the, that's the way that an office should be. That's the way that a workplace should be set up. And if we've got people who aren't in the office, then it's a little bit inferior, and we've got to do everything we can to try and raise their standard and their operation procedures so that they're as close as possible to the in-office team. And that's the way we've kind of operated for the last 200 years. But what if we turn that around? What if we said that maybe you didn't need an office? Uh, perhaps the only reason we have offices is because that's where the secretaries used to be. That's where the files used to be. That's the only way that you could meet people and have conversations because we didn't have um, remote collaboration technology. And, and now that those reasons no longer exist, perhaps we should rethink the idea of the office as being the gold standard of the workplace. So what if the way of the future is that the virtual team is actually better than an in-office team? And maybe what we should be doing is looking at some of the benefits of remote or virtual teams and trying to bring those benefits to the in-office teams. So... Let me ask the kind of provocative or challenging question. What if the office was banned? What if it was illegal to have people assembled together and working in the same place? So what difference would that make to you know, your workplace? The, the time that you work, would we still be working nine to five? Um, the way that information is shared and um, the actual people you have in your team and uh, the time zones that people work in. And also what we're talking about here is leadership and management. So let's look at it from that angle. So we're going to look at these five areas from that angle. And again, before we look at these five areas, I just want to caution you about the language that's used when describing team members who don't work in the same office. Uh, quite often, these team members are called remote team members or virtual team members, and these teams are called remote teams or virtual teams. Just be careful of using that term because it does make them sound like second-class citizens. The term that I prefer is distributed team. So if you've got a team where some of the team members are in the office and some of them aren't, then use the term distributed team when you're talking about um, the team in general, uh, because it doesn't it, it puts everyone on an equal uh, equal footing and an equal playing field. Um, you're not talking about these remote people who are uh, less valuable and make less of a contribution than the people who are in the office. Now today I will use the terms remote when talking about workers who don't work in the office, and and I'll use the term in office for the people who are in the office, but that's only to distinguish between those kinds of team members. When we talk about the team as a whole, let's talk about them as a distributed team. 
All right. So let's look at this first area, which is one of the most challenging. Uh, it's the area of culture. So how do you build culture in a team where everybody isn't uh, in the same office at the same time? Because there's some problems with that, of course. Uh, there's less chance for personal rapport. It's harder for those remote people to fit in uh, if most of the people are in the office. And, and one of the challenges that creates is the way that you build trust. Because in an in-office team, people build trust through personal rapport. They, their kids go to the same schools or they, they play the same sports or they, they follow the same footy teams. And because they happen to be generally in the same area, uh, or even if they support opposing teams, they have friendly banter at the office. So trust is built through things like personal rapport and you've got those shared interests. You're physically close to each other, which means that you tend to trust the people who you're closest to, um, not just metaphorically, but physically as well. And you have all these social interactions. You might have pizza and beer on a Friday night. Um, you might go out to lunch once a week. And you have all of these things that happen in the office. So how do you make that happen uh, when you've got a distributed team with remote team members? Well, the solution is you don't try and create the same kind of personal rapport. Because trust in a distributed team is built differently. It's actually built not so much by personal rapport, but by professional factors, things like reliability, consistency, integrity, responsiveness, the sort of things, uh, the characteristics that you'd like from your in-office team members as well. But they're even more important when you've got a distributed team because your remote team members, they are assuming that the in-office team members are going to deliver. They're going to trust that they're going to do what they said they're going to do and vice versa. So, for example, if somebody says, I, I need this report by 2 p.m., and both parties understand what that means, but the report is only sent at 2.05. Now, in an office, that's possibly not so much of a problem because there's, there's a chance that the colleagues are working next to each other and one of them says, oh, look, do you mind if I send it uh, five minutes late? And the other person goes, no, I don't mind at all. Or they might say, no, I actually need it by 2 p.m. because we've got an important client meeting that I need to take this to. Now, that, in other words, you make it work. But uh, with your remote team members or when you've got a distributed team, um, that that sort of interaction where people lean over someone's partition or lean around their cubicle uh, doesn't happen as much. So if you say 2 p.m., the other party assumes 2 p.m. And if you're even five minutes late, it might have a knock-on effect that creates a problem for the other person. So people rely on things like that to build trust. And if you're a leader or a manager, this should be music to your ears because these are exactly the sort of things that you want anyway from all your team members, whether they're in the office or not. So yeah, if you look at building those things like responsiveness and integrity and reliability yeah, across all your team, you not only build trust, but you also increase your performance and productivity. Um, so again, let's look at this idea of what if the distributed team was actually the gold standard, not the in-office team. So what are, what are the, some of the benefits of having people not in the office when it comes to culture. Well, one obvious one is that you get a greater chance to embrace diversity because you might have a team with diverse cultures, even from around the world. Now, you might be working in a multicultural office, but it's still not the same as having people who are physically in other countries and living other cultures, uh, operating and in interacting with each other. And so it builds a different kind of culture. And diversity is so important in today's uh, global world where it's much, much easier for people to travel and interact with people in other parts of the world. Another benefit is that you perhaps avoid a kind of toxic workplace because quite often offices do have a lot of office politics that goes on and it gets in the way of getting work done. And remote team members, by and large, are protected from those office politics. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but quite often your remote team members are more focused on getting the work done and less in the office politics.
So that's the first area, that's culture. Let's look at the second area, which is collaboration. And of course, that's essential when you've got people uh, who aren't in the same office. So um, it's, it, there are some challenges when you've got remote team members and in-office team members. And um, the remote team members um, miss out the dynamics of in-person meetings and uh, they, they feel distant and remote, even though you might be trying to make them feel welcome. The solution to this is to have really good collaboration software and there's really no excuse for not having high quality virtual collaboration software for all your team now. And the research backs this up. GigaOM Research, for example, said that almost 90% of remote users feel more connected when they have video conferencing, not just audio, but video conferencing. And another report suggested that most managers, again, close to 90%, said that collaboration software is important or even mission critical for them to get their work done because they have to make sure that the, the everyone in the distributed team can collaborate equally. Just keep in mind that there are three kinds of collaboration that happen, particularly when you've got a distributed team. And the three kinds are immediate, deferred, and independent. So immediate collaboration is where both parties or all parties have to be there at the same time. It's like a phone call. It's like a video conference. It's like a, a, a live presentation where people have to be there. In other words, it's live. Deferred collaboration is where the people don't have to be there at the same time. So email, for example, should be deferred collaboration. Now, some people still treat it as, as immediate and expect a response immediately, but it should be deferred. I send you an email and I don't expect you to be sitting there at your desk waiting to read my email and uh, responding immediately. So email is one example. There are a whole bunch of others. For example, um, you might have an online bulletin board where people post questions and other people respond. If you're using tools like Trello, where you load cards on, the, on a Trello board and somebody else can uh, respond to that card sometime later, that's an example of deferred collaboration. And the third kind is independent collaboration, where it is collaboration, but you don't know who you're collaborating with, you don't know when you're collaborating with them, and you don't know how they're going to use the information that you share. Now, that might sound very vague, but if you think about something like Wikipedia, Wikipedia is a really good example of independent collaboration because people post to Wikipedia and they create Wikipedia pages. Other people edit them, and then other people read those pages. But the people who create the pages or edit them have no idea who's going to make use of them later. But, of course, it's still collaboration. Okay, so again, let's ask the question, what are some of the benefits of virtual collaboration over in-person collaboration? Well, one obvious one is that there are fewer interruptions and distractions because people who are communicating when they're communicating remotely or virtually tend to be more focused. Uh, not always the case because some of them might be checking their email while they're trying to, while they're on some teleconference call. But in general, there are fewer interruptions and distractions. Also, meetings tend to be more efficient because uh, when you have a video conference call, people tend to turn up on time. They have less idle chit chat. Uh, before the proper meeting starts, they hang up at the end, and that's it. They go back to work. Whereas in an office, there's a, there's a lot more friction. They, people take a while to get there. They might chat in the corridor. They might get um, waylaid by somebody else before the meeting starts. People wander in five or ten minutes late. The meeting runs over time. Then people wander back to their offices, or they go off and get a cup of coffee. And uh, it's not as efficient. So that's one of the big advantages of virtual collaboration, because it does tend to be more efficient third area is productivity. Now, this is one area where the research shows that uh, whatever you think about the benefits of in-person teams or distributed teams, one area where there's uh, almost no controversy is the idea of productivity. People who work from home 
or work in internet cafes or co-working spaces are more productive than people who work in an office. And, and it's because of the, for the, and of course it's for the obvious reasons, because they have an environment that they like and there are fewer interruptions and distractions for them. But some leaders and managers do worry about the productivity of their remote workers. Uh, it's easy. If you look at the distributed team, the in-office workers, they can um, look at their productivity because they see them come into work in the morning. They see when they leave to go home. So they're measuring the, the effort that they put in, and uh, that effort is, seems to be the measure of productivity. But actually, when you think about it, that, that shouldn't be the measure. So instead of measuring effort, what you should be measuring uh, are the results, the output. So with your remote team members, uh, because you don't see them every day, you can't measure their effort necessarily, but you can measure their results. So if you give somebody a task that's supposed to take five hours and they finish in four hours and then go off and have an extra hour for lunch, well, is that a problem? It shouldn't be, because as long as they completed the task to the level that you expected, then you're measuring the, the result, not the effort. So this is a shift in mindset for many leaders. Uh, they're used to measuring input, which is effort, whereas you really need to be measuring output. Uh, but again, if you make that shift in your mindset, then it's good for your team anyway, because, of course, the rest of the world is going to be looking at the results, not just the effort that was put in. Okay, so again, let's look at uh, what are some of the benefits of a distributed team versus an uh, in-person team, a fully in-person team. Well, one, as we already talked about, is that you're measuring what matters. You're looking at results uh, rather than uh, obsessing over the effort and obsessing about the fact that so-and-so came in 15 minutes late and has been coming in 15 minutes late for the last two weeks and knocks off at 3 p.m. whereas everybody else is staying back until 6 p.m. Um, it, you just can't measure that with your remote team members, but you can measure what matters, which are, which are the results. And as I said, uh, people are more productive. And the research does show that the people who work uh, away from the office uh, in an environment ideally of their choosing are more productive. Okay, let's move on to innovation. So this is one of the challenges. How do you innovate in a distributed team? Because you don't get those opportunities for people to bump into each other and have random conversations that might lead to a genius idea. And that's kind of the stereotype about how innovation and creativity happens. So there's a feeling that it's more difficult to create synergy when you've got people who aren't in the same office. For example, did you know that Google has done some research into the ideal length of the line at the canteen when people are lining up for food? Now, if the, if the line's too long, then people will give up and they won't come to the canteen. Uh, but if the line's too short, there isn't enough time for you to be waiting and then talking to the person behind or in front of you. And that, that might have that interesting conversation that sparks a great idea. So Google's decided to engineer synergy in an in-person team. Now, obviously, you can't do that with a distributed team, but there are some things that you can do. So first of all, there's some research published in the Harvard Business Review that says that when it comes to brainstorming and uh, similar creative thinking exercises, online brainstorming is better than in-person brainstorming. So don't automatically assume that creativity and innovation are better and stronger in an in-person team. It doesn't have to be the case. The second thing is that most innovation isn't creating the next iPhone. It's not those big, huge breakthrough innovations. Most innovation is step-by-step -step innovation, and everybody in your team, whether they're in the office or not, can take part in that kind of innovation. For example, Team Sky, which is a British team that won the Tour de France a few years ago, uh, they innovated 
uh, using a system that they called marginal gains. And what they meant was they looked at tiny little things that they could change and improve. And uh, by adding up a whole bunch of tiny things, they eventually... Um, won the Tour de France. So, for example, one of their ideas was that with their water bottles, they coded them so that if the water bottle had a white top, then it actually had water in it. And if it had a blue top, it had an energy drink in it. So that the support team, as the riders were going past, they knew exactly which one to give and the riders knew what they were getting. Now, that alone isn't going to win the Tour de France, but by having a whole bunch of these small, tiny innovations, they they added up and they compounded uh, to create um, a success successful team. So anyone in your team can create that sort of innovation. Uh, But also, what are some of the benefits of a distributed team when it comes to innovation versus an in-person team? Well, one obvious one is that perhaps your remote team members who are working from home or a co-working space actually have a better environment where they've got time and space for thinking. They can stand up and go for a walk and they might be thinking even subconsciously about something to do with work. And that might generate an interesting idea. Now, of course, that could happen in an office as well. But people who are working away from the office generally have more uh, control and autonomy over their workday. The other thing that happens is that perhaps you get a greater diversity of ideas because you've got team members who are... um, working from different countries, they have different cultures, they have different backgrounds, they bring different things to the team, they're less homogeneous than the people who are in the office. So there are some potential opportunities to foster innovation, even in a distributed team. The final area we'll look at is development, which I'm, and here I'm talking about learning and development. So the, the traditional way that you develop your team members is to get them to down tools, put them in a training room, and give them a training course. Now, of course, that's not going to work if you've got a distributed team, unless you fly everybody in, and that can be impractical. Um, but maybe that's not even the best way to deliver training anyway. And maybe we've been doing it that way because we've always done it that way. So the fact that you've got a distributed team with remote team members might force you to actually do things differently. For example, there's a lot of material available now through online learning. Now, some of it's maybe within your organization and some of it may be public. So if you want to look at some of the public resources that are available for you for online learning, there's some uh, look up MOOC, M-O-O-C. These are massive open online courses. Uh, I don't recommend that you do these massive ones, but if you go to opentostudy.com, that's open the number two and then study.com, you can sign up to a number of shorter, less intensive online courses with smaller groups, and that's backed by a number of Australian and New Zealand universities. So really high quality learning. It's available online and it's available free. Just one word of caution that quite often when you hear about MOOCs or you hear about online learning, one of the biggest criticisms you might hear is that there's a 95% failure rate. Now, that would be a disaster if 95% of the people who attended one of your training courses in a training room failed. But we're not comparing apples with apples here because uh, online courses, first of all, it's very, very easy to sign up to an online course. You basically just need a username and password and you're in. So a whole bunch of people who fail um, never even really tried the course and they never even had any intention to. But the more important factor is that uh, the 95% is irrelevant. What you need to look at is the number of people. So, for example, my friend Chris Padney um, did a course, an online course on data visualization where 100,000 people register for the course around the world. So he was in a classroom with 100,000 other people. Um, And sure enough, 95% of them didn't complete the course. Only 5% completed it. But 5% was 5 
thousand students who complete that course. Now that's significant. That's um, you know as as high as the number of students enrolled in uh, all courses at many of Australian Australia's universities. So we're talking about uh, large numbers here. So don't be put off by the ninety five percent failure rate that's often quoted. Uh, look at the value of the course that uh, and the value of the learning that you get. And there are big companies that are already providing online training for their member for their people and it's uh, so they provide on their intranet uh, companies like Deloitte Accenture Ticketmaster they're providing online training and there's no reason why you can't you don't have to provide it yourself but you can give your team members opportunities to do online training so again if you look at the advantages of a distributed team over an in-person tra- uh, team and um, with online training the training is customized to each person's needs you don't have to get everybody in the office together and send them on a course um, regardless of their level and whether they need the course or not um, each person can do whatever they need in terms of training another thing that can happen especially with the distributed team is this idea of reverse mentoring so in traditional mentoring the the older the more senior the person with the corner office mentors a more junior person but reverse mentoring flips it on its head because you recognize that there are young people uh, more junior people in your team who may know more than you about things like you know social media consumer behavior new media um, perhaps even the way that uh, their particular markets operate in their country and so they mentor the more senior people and with the with a distributed team it is possible to do that because you can set up mentoring and it can be um, it's remote mentoring because it can be done by video conference and perhaps sometimes in person but it can still be very effective because you get your remote team members um, to, to mentor some of the people who are in the office and ideally the more senior people who are in the office and it makes those team members feel more valued and it provides extra value to the team as well so we looked at these five areas culture collaboration productivity innovation and development of course we've only skimmed the surface here but i hope this given you some ideas when you're thinking about leading and managing a distributed team and again i suggest that you start with the angle that rather than assuming that the in-person team is the best kind of team start with the idea that no maybe a distributed team with virtual team members could offer a better experience and a more productive and profitable team. I hope you got some ideas from there and more importantly, I hope you can take some of them away and put them into action right now. Now if you want to know what's on the horizon for the future, download my app Fit for the Future for your iPhone or your Android phone. And I created this app because many people come up to me after my keynote conference presentations and ask me how I do my own research, what blogs I read, what podcasts I listen to, what books I read, and they want some recommendations so that they can become fit for the future as well. So I created this app. I update it regularly with news, articles, videos, book recommendations, and other resources to help you become fit for the future. It's free and it's ad free so head over to the iTunes store or the Google Play store and just search for fit for the future and you'll find my app there I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life and if you did get some value from it I would love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store in the podcast area and that helps to promote it to other people as well and if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference then check out my speaking topics and workshop topics at gihanspeaks.com and if you want to engage with me in other ways go to gihanparera.com where you can find my blog my newsletter my podcast videos and my free webinars 
series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and of course yourself, that you can become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.